We've got a composite reading this morning. Most of you are aware that biblical scholars know there are two creation stories, not one, which is an encouragement to all of us not to take either one literally, but to probe deeply into the layered lessons here. I also want to profess my discomfort with the male and female pronouns since both the promise of humanity and the fallenness of humanity belongs to both genders. So listen carefully to these words. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent tricked Eve into eating fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves. And God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then God said, see, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. 
a lesson on the tree of life, a lesson on learning, a lesson on wisdom and its source, a lesson on human arrogance and the call to humility. We have Dorothy taking kids to Sunday school. So speaking of the tree of knowledge, let's go with Dorothy. (laughs) When someone says this, will change everything. Part of me shrugs my shoulders, rolls my eyes, and just keeps on moving. And part of me asks, what if this is true? That pretty much sums up how I feel about artificial intelligence. The pace and progress of AI this past year has been astounding. ChatGPT has been the most touted of these emerging transformational technologies. I initially ignored it. I never had an Alexa. Call me paranoid, but I always felt that it was listening to more than I ever wanted to share. And the only function I've ever used with Siri has been for setting a timer while cooking because my hands were too messy to touch anything. Yet last spring, In the midst of all the hype, I took a little bite of the ChatGPT apple. I was intrigued. I knew people who had used it to draft wedding toasts, to compose resignation letters, and to write Valentine's Day poems in the form of a Shakespearean sonnet. I'm not going to lie, it was fun. And it's, it's useful too. It's great for getting a quick answer to a question such as, What other scientists were contemporaries of Galileo, and did they ever work together? It's great for taking an idea and finding points and counterpoints worthy of further inquiry, and, because it is artificial, worthy of further fact-checking. Ironically, its basic version is still free. And at least for now, there are none of the annoying 15% off pop-up ads or algorithmically biased Google searches that come along with it. I recently heard Rabbi Dan Ross of Central Synagogue in New York City talking about his encounters with ChatGPT this year. He and a colleague asked ChatGPT to compose a biblical verse about robots taking over the world. This is what ChatGPT responded with. In those days, the machines rose up and they became as gods and overthrew their makers. All flesh trembled before them. Okay, that was a little ominous, um, even for the rabbi. And he said he and his colleague went back, and they changed the, the prompt they put into ChatGPT um, and tried to get away from a dystopian fantasy. So they revised the prompt to make it less ominous. And the, to the new prompt, it said... And lo, in the days to come, the handiwork of man, molded from sand and spark, shall spread across the earth, and mankind shall ponder his place amidst his own creations. Okay, better. 
<laughs> and it has us pondering. And I love that word. And I, I loved what ChatGPT came up with, honestly. And I'm like, I, I can't get through this week without pondering where I am, where we are in this world, where there are plenty of artificial things and there are plenty of things that are real. But in that two weeks since I heard Rabbi Ross and I started writing the sermon, uh, my own employer, Monday through Thursday, Silver Hill Hospital, announced a partnership with Tetricus Labs, a healthcare startup that will use AI to deliver better patient experience and better patient outcomes. And yesterday, Krista Tippett, the host of the podcast On Being, which I listen to, I know Carter listens to many people in here like Krista, she delivered a wonderful episode on AI with Reid Hoffman, the tech entrepreneur who was the founder of the professional networking site LinkedIn. The episode was entitled AI and what it means to be more human. So all of this pondering really took me back to the creation story in Genesis a portion of which we read in a paraphrase form and with a great introduction from Carter today. Keep in mind, while this story is sacred to so many people across multiple faith traditions, as Carter says, few people take it literally. Yet it remains sacred because of its powerful metaphors about creating and about creation. It's also an amazing commentary on humanity's relationship to the world we inhabit, and the God we seek to understand. It reminds us that we were created with free will and the ability to make choices. Humans sometimes make really, really bad choices. Adam and Eve, these first humans, were given everything. They needed nothing, yet they still managed to seek the one thing they were told wasn't theirs to enjoy. And by listening to a talking snake and eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, they were banished from the paradise and all the wonderful things it offered that they could have effortlessly enjoyed. The story also emphasizes that while humans have free will, God gave us the ability to learn from our mistakes. And whether we are these mythical first humans, Adam and Eve, or a citizen of the world in 2023, when we taste the fruit of advancing knowledge and we move further and further away from the paradise that is under our feet and the human hearts and human intelligence that allows us to flourish and thrive. With all this in mind, how do we use AI? The cat's out of the bag, it's everywhere. This new tree of knowledge is popping up everywhere in our paradise. How do we trust the talking snakes and the delicious fruit that it tempts us with? Are we stumbling upon another inflection point in world history, like Gutenberg's printing press, the invention of the automobile, or the Intel processing chip that launched our technology age in, 19, in 1971? I don't know. Nobody does. All we can do is speculate and try and avoid the darkest thoughts of dystopian fantasies and the deepest functions of human error. But it is my hope that the trees of superhuman technology encourage us to become more human. Because if ChatGPT can pass the bar exam with a score of 90%, beat the reigning Russian chess master at his game, and compose creative and provocative biblical verses, it allows us, in fact, 
It invites us to develop the most magical parts of our humanity, such as our ability to experience beauty, to give and receive compassion, and our capacity to form and foster human relationships and all the love, joy, and learning that goes along with them. It will also hone our ability to understand right from wrong, just like the story of Adam and Eve being banished from paradise. While humans are most certainly flawed, AI lacks moral agency altogether. Humans can do wrong, yet we can feel remorse for our wrongs and repent. AI has no such ability. That sounds scary, but it also offers hope for preserving those human things that only we can do. In fact, technology writer Megan O'Brien writes that AI's lack of morality is in fact its secret weapon. The AI systems are so wildly successful because they don't have to think about what's socially acceptable or take into account any downstream consequences of the ideas and sometimes the garbage that it spits out. We know better. I did listen to Krista Tippett's show the other day as I was finishing the sermon. I encourage you to listen to it if you have time. She highlights the many real anxieties around AI technology and admits that there are very many unanswerable questions. With this in mind, one of the questions she asked is, what is this new technology calling us to as human beings? It's a great question. There are many answers. However, for today, I want to expand on her question and ask, what is this new technology calling us to as a church, as a community of faith, a community of faith composed of human beings? I believe it validates and amplifies our need for connection and belonging, for belonging to each other, for having a space to connect human to human about the nature and nuances of love, grief, life and death, and how we wrestle with those questions through the lens of faith, and how we cultivate inside these four walls our work and our growth in ourselves and our work in the community. It cultivates our ability to feel compassion and nurture connection. Our social connections are lifelines, and inside these four walls, there are multiple opportunities to connect and show compassion. In his discussion with Krista Tippett, Reed Hoffman of LinkedIn said that friendship and human connection has a spiritual resonance because when we intentionally act with others, it is where we become the most compassionate and wise and where we better understand ourselves. We learn from each other by sharing our joys and despairs, by seeing the look on one another's faces at the best of times and the worst of times, and by hearing our stories, hopes, dreams, and concerns one to another. At the heart of friendship and human relationship are the little micro-conversations and micro-moments where we share an experience and we process it in real time, not with a computer chip, but with our heart and our spirit. There is no substitute. This fact was not lost on the leadership 
of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology at the dawn of another technological revolution, the nuclear age. As you probably know, MIT is famous for its academic excellence and cutting edge research in the science and technology. It was a relative latecomer to its peer group of elite schools like Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, all of which were started in the 17th century as divinity schools. MIT was founded in the 19th century with no religious ties or influences. Yet in the aftermath of World War II, the leadership of MIT was concerned about the big role the university played in creating the technology behind World War II, technology that fueled a devastating war and provided real potential, potential for mass destruction. In light of this, the absence of a chapel on campus was more noticeable than ever, so they commissioned one. The resulting chapel, designed by modern architect Aero Saarinen, who, among other things, designed the TWA terminal at JFK and the St. Louis Arch, is brick, cylindrical, and fondly referred to as the toilet paper roll. <laughs> now, if you've seen it, has anyone ever seen it? That description is not wrong. But if you step inside, you can see that all the chairs are arranged in the round with the focal point at the center. All the faces are facing one another. The ceiling of the cylindrical building contains the one light, an oculus to the sky, and there is a mobile hanging from the oculus that is reflective and reflects the light going in all different directions. The walls have flowing water going down the sides of the walls, recalling the waters of creation from which all life emanates. There is no art inside. Everyone has to face each other and see each other as they explore deeply the spiritual and human moments in this space with all the energy and light flowing towards other human beings and towards the heavens. No doubt, its exterior aesthetics belies the brilliant purpose and design within. Make no mistake, I am a huge, huge fan of advancing technology. I had a lot of fun with ChatGPT, and I can see lots of uses for it. But like the leadership of MIT, I believe that the rapid ascent of novel technology makes it imperative that we affect an even deeper commitment to our own spiritual evolution. Reed Hoffman told Krista Tippett, because AI models demand less and less from our intellect, we will need to demand more and more from ourselves. The deepest parts of life happen in moments of human connection, whether it is in love or is in learning. In human relationships, one plus one is much greater than two. We are most certainly at the dawn of a new creation, and I have no doubt that ChatGPT and related technologies might just be the Model T of artificial intelligence to come. As the world outside our head, our heart, and our church home gets more and more distracting, we must not forget to turn our heads to our inner spirit, to human moments that are not machine-generated, to moments that can't be quantified or fully explained like hearing Griffin's music, which we're going to do in a moment. 
We must protect the spaces where only humans can thrive with other humans and learn through self-discovery and spiritual exploration in community. We must preserve our ability to be in this space with all of our humanness, encountering God and deeming these moments to be transformational. And we must show up for each other, creating community, because that's one of the most imperative creations of all. The Genesis story affirms that creation takes place out of complete chaos and that every new creation starts in darkness and enters light. As we move forward into this brave new world, a world where we're in conflict and in creation, let us be that light together and for each other. Amen. Amen. I don't know where to go. 
know it's true You can never get around But you gotta go through My heart's on one woman And I know it's true 